praise God for the opportunity to go into the revelation of Jesus Christ as we have been. Uh, we're looking at uh, this whole book chapter by chapter and the title of, as we're going through is I Am Revealed. We're seeing that Jesus is revealed in this book to be the same God as the I Am of the Old Testament. And we have a wonderful privilege in this book to be able to see this and say, God, thank you for revealing yourself to us in such a manner that shows Jesus to be so glorified and so wonderful. And so the subtitle or the title of the message today is The Seal Before the Seal. And I'm going to invite you to turn to your Bible to Revelation chapter 7. And as we have been doing for this series and will continue to do, we're going to listen to a reading of Revelation 7 together as, uh, as we do each week. And so I invite you to please read in your Bible as you are listening to the reading over the system. After these things I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea. Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed. 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. Of the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Gad, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Asher, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Levi, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne, and the elders, and the four living creatures, and fell on their faces before the throne, and worshipped God. Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes, and where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God, and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will dwell among them. 
they shall neither hunger anymore, nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them, nor any heat. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. much for this opportunity to get into your word. We thank you for this picture that we see here of a calm before a storm. We praise you for the mark. We praise you for the seal that you're going to give your people. We thank you for the seal of the Holy Spirit that many of us in here have today. We pray that you would protect your word and allow this message to be yours and allow it to be true. Pray this in your discernment in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first section we're going to look at today is the seal and the people. Um, this seal that we're going to be looking at, we're going to see, is not, we're not talking about necessarily a seal of the scroll. We've been looking through the scroll, but we're going to see a seal and what this seal has to do with the people. So verse 1, it says, After these things I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. And so to place this chapter within the context as he's been talking about, we need to reflect on, on what has been said in the previous verse in the previous chapter, it says, after these things. And so what we saw is that sixth seal in that previous chapter, and it was opened up. And in that seal, we saw the earthquake, and the, the sun turns black, and the moon turns blood red. The stars are falling from heaven, and the sky is ripped and rolled back like a scroll. And, and due to all these terrifying events, the entire human population is running scared and terrified. Not because they don't fully see what's happening, they do, but because they say the day of the Lamb's wrath has finally come, and they say, who can stand it? So now we see John, and, and there's these four angels standing on the four, pulling the four winds back. And remember that we had said that we're continually going to look at the revelation of Jesus Christ, and we're going to lay it on top of Matthew 24. Because Jesus gives us in Matthew 24, He gives us a distinct chronology. This will happen, and then this will happen, and then this will happen, and then this. And so we lay this on top, and, and last week we saw in Matthew 24, we saw, okay, so this is what was going on. The earthquake, the sun turns black, all this. And what we see today in the message is we see this seal is being applied to God's people. What we would expect to see in Matthew 24 then is a picture of the same thing. The sky is changing. Something happens with the sun and the moon. And then angels coming down to take God's people. And this is what we see here in Matthew 24, verses 29 to 31. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven. The powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of, the son of Man will appear in heaven. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. You see and recognize the same language that we find in Revelation. 
We see it right here in Matthew 24. So what we're getting then in Revelation 7 is sort of like this intentional break, this intentional pause. It's like a parenthetical statement. Right before God's full wrath is going to be unleashed, we see these four angels holding the four winds, keeping them from blowing. So in other words, the chronology that Jesus says is you're going to see all these signs of sky, and then pretty quick right after that, you're going to see Jesus come. He's going to come with the clouds, and the angels are going to gather his people from those four winds. And so we say, well, if they're going to gather them from the four winds, what's holding the four winds back? And then we get to verse 2. I saw another angel ascending from the east, and he has the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea. So picture this scene here. You've got these four powerful angels who are poised and ready to harm the whole earth with a harm that we've never seen before, nor will there be after. And they're in place preparing for this wrath. And then another angel rises, it says, arises, rises up from the east. And he's got something in his hand. And it's the seal of the living God. This seal is the same word that the seals on the scrolls have, uh, and it's just a little different. We find in Paul's writing, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19, he uses the same word. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So this seal is the same word that you find sealing the scrolls. Paul uses the same word to say this is an identification of those who belong to Jesus Christ. It's clearly a sign of God's ownership and authority over His people. And as we said before in the prayer and understanding, the Holy Spirit is a seal, a guarantee that we will be resurrected. It's a guarantee of the promise that God has given to us. But this seal here, he actually uses a slightly different form of that same Greek word. And so that leads us to understand, the Holy Spirit is a seal. But this seal, before a great tribulation occurs and continues, is special. One major reason for interpreting the verse in this way is we see that the angel is holding the seal. There's no other biblical reference to uh, humans being baptized by the Holy Spirit with the use of any angels. Not only that, the angel is told to go and seal the servants of God. In other words, they're already saved. They've got the Holy Spirit as a seal. They're guaranteed salvation. These angels are expected to go and to give them a different seal. So as this angel is holding this seal, he cries with a loud voice to the four other angels at the four corners. Now just imagine the power that these beings have. Not to worship the angels or, or put them any place that they shouldn't be given. We only worship God and only one. But these angels are given the power of God to destroy, and they will, we're going to see, they're going to destroy the whole earth. And they're holding back that destruction. 
And then this other angel that rises up is yelling so loud that these four angels across the planet can hear him and listen. Have you ever tried to call somebody as they're like driving away or maybe just a, a hundred yards or, or more away? You ever try to call to them? This angel rises up and his cry goes out across the whole earth. Unbelievable power that we're talking about. They're holding back the winds that are going to destroy the entire planet. And what's that angel yelling? Don't harm the earth, the sea, or the trees until we've sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Now when we read this, do not harm, we may have a question. Say, well, what do you mean? We just read six seals of harm. We just read through six seals that were broken on the scroll as it starts to play out. We saw all sorts of things that have already occurred. So how can he say, don't harm anything? Well, by comparison, what's about to occur on the earth, it will be as though the earth hasn't even been touched yet. Something that might go unnoticed is that the angel uses this first person plural. He says, we are going to do this. Referring to that sealing of the servants. He says it's our God. The angels are working together to accomplish God's will on this earth. And a major part of God's will is to seal God's people on their foreheads. And that word in the Greek translated forehead, it's only used in the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ. Each time it's either referring to a mark or a seal that's going to go on those who put their faith in Jesus, or it's a mark or a seal that's going to go on those who put their faith in the beast. Satan. We've said it many times from the scriptures because Jesus only sees the earth in this way. You are either a child of the living God or you are a child of Satan. There is no middle of the road. There is no, I'm doing the best I can. Leave me alone. Stop being so harsh. This word in this book of our foreheads, our minds, our bodies giving over, and we're either going to serve Jesus or we're serving Satan. And it will be a choice one way or the other. So what's the significance biblically of this mark or this idea on the forehead? We turn to Ezekiel chapter 9, verses 3 to 4. We always want to use Scripture to interpret Scripture to stay safe. Now the glory of the God of Israel had gone up from the cherub where it had been to the threshold of the temple. We see Yahweh God standing at the threshold of the temple. And he calls to the man clothed with linen who had the writer's inkhorn at his side. And Yahweh said to him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and cry over all the abominations that are done within it. It's a very similar context in Ezekiel. God is about to go through and he's about to bring destruction and wrath. And before he does, he sends an angel, go in and mark my people on their forehead. You're going to put, and he says it's the ones who sigh and cry over the abominations. 
If you are a child of the living God, if you've been born again by the blood of Jesus Christ, we ought to look around at the abominations going on in this country and say, this is awful. If our heart is not crying and breaking for the things that we're seeing going on around us, there's a good possibility we might not even be saved. Because that was the exact premise that God was using to mark His people. Are you looking around the city? Are you seeing the abominations? Are you crying about it? Are you sighing? Are you saying, come on? Are you kidding me? We're still going to do this? Before he does it, he sends an angel to place a mark. Literally, that mark was an X on the forehead of God's people. It was a cross. And just like Passover, he was going to mark them and say, this house will be protected. Verse 4, we're going to look more on that seal later. But verse 4, I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. Now much has been made of this 144,000. There's some who say, well, this is uh, the Jews. These are those who are of Jewish blood and descent, and it's specifically saying that there's going to be this great revival that's going to come from inside, and they're going to come to Jesus. There's others who say, no, these are just 144,000 of a very specific group. Uh, uh, there's a cult that feels that they've got an ownership of this 144,000. It's a cult. That's what it is. But there's only three references to the 144,000 in the Scripture. All three references are contained within two chapters of the Revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelation 7 and Revelation 14. So this means, first and foremost, we should not make a bigger deal out of the 144,000 than God did. God only put it in two chapters of his, of his Bible. In other words, when something is essential for us, you and I, we either go to heaven or we go to hell based on this idea. When something's essential, we see it from beginning to end in the Bible. He's going to talk about it over and over and over again. There's only one God. You're going to see that in, in every book of the Bible, over and over and over again. You and I are made right by God by the blood of the Lamb. You're going to see that over and over and over again in Scripture. It's essential. But when we get to something like this, and we only find it in one book in the Bible, in a couple places, in a book like the Revelation, which defines itself as a symbolic book. He says, I'm, I've got visions of things. It's symbolic. There's, there's lots of symbolism here. We ought not take that and come up with all doctrines and theologies based on something that's absolutely non-essential. And so because of that, we need to use caution and wisdom as we interpret what God means when he says this. So John hears this number and he's given an understanding of what this number is. 144,000, and he understands it's from all the tribes of the children of Israel who were sealed. And so as we think about who could these 144,000 be, we need to use the scriptures in order to allow us to get the clues. Okay, so what, how is God using this number, how is God using this group in the Bible, and then come out from that and say, okay, well, if this is what he's saying about it, 
then this is what I'm going to believe about it. Make sense? Clue number one. The numbers related to the tribes of the children of Israel. So we're talking about God's people. Not people who are not God's people, but God's people. Second clue is the number is related to their possession of a very special seal. So this isn't just all of those faithful saints throughout history. We've already seen in the Revelation the 24 elders. We've seen pretty much representing the whole body of Christ. Old Testament, New Testament saints. So we've seen their representation not just in heaven, but in the new heaven and earth to come. So it's not representing the entire full counsel of those who put their faith in Jesus. But as we see this number, the way God reveals it, it's only the ones who get this very special seal. Clue number three is coming from the order of the tribes that God has enlisted in. You say, well, why does that matter? Well, when you look through verses 5 through 8, you see the order that God gives. Judah, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh, Simeon, Levi, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin. That's the order God gives. Well, how is that a clue? Because nowhere else, first of all, in the New Testament, do you see an order of the tribes? Nowhere else. But nowhere in the Old Testament does it in any way resemble this particular order given in the book of Revelation. That should be a clue. Whenever God gives His order in the Old Testament, we see some things that typically show up. One thing that's a little different about this order is that you have 11 sons of Jacob and you have a grandson, Manasseh. Sometimes in the Old Testament, you'll have Joseph kind of removed and then you have Manasseh and Ephraim kind of put into his place. That's not what happens here. You have Joseph and you have Manasseh. Another clue or something different we see here is that Judah is listed first instead of Reuben, the firstborn. It's almost like God is taking this whole order of the tribes and saying, this order is different because the tribe is different. The people are different. Judah, of course, brought in the Messiah. The Lion of Judah. Remember, we looked at that. So we also see that the tribe of Dan is completely <coughs> missing. And then again, there's whole orders of theologies about, oh, well, Dan sinned against God, and so he must not get part of the blessing. Where is that coming from? Every Old Testament passage where it refers to the promises of the Messiah given to the tribes, Dan is there. The fourth thing we see is that the number 12,000 is never used in the Old Testament to refer to God's tribes. This is something different. Every time we see the tribes listed in the Old Testament, the numbers given are very intentional. And they're different. Because it's tribes. Tribes have different numbers of people. If all of a sudden you had like 12 families come together and they're like, Hey guys, I happen to have 12,000, exactly 12,000 people. Oh, me too. All 12 of us. So clearly, this is not referring to the same group of the 12 tribes of the Old Testament. If it was, if God wanted to say, I'm talking about the Jews and the Jews only, he would have said it in the same order he does all through the Old Testament. He's saying, look, my people look different than they ever have before. 
But the final clue here, five, clue number five. Who is Israel? Who is Israel in the New Testament? We go to Galatians chapter 6, verse 15 to 17. For in Christ neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. You know what Paul's saying here in teaching all through this chapter, but right here in particular? God's people are not just those who get the circumcision of the Jews. It's not just those who go through a physical act to say they're part of God's family. No. He says a new creation. Jesus calls it being born again. And as many as walk, Paul continues, according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon him and upon, who's that? The Israel of God. From now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body but the marks of the Lord Jesus. Remember, Paul wasn't born again because he was a Pharisee and a Jew of Jews, a Hebrew among Hebrews. That's not why he was born again. He was born again because he met Jesus Christ. Paul teaches that anyone who walks according to that rule, that it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, all that matters is Jesus Christ. Anybody that walks according to that is a new creation, and that one who's born again is now in the Israel of God. So the 144,000 is not necessarily ancestors of the physical lineage of the tribes of Israel. It's a representative of all who are the spiritual lineage of the covenant promise made to Israel and then perfected through the blood of Jesus Christ. So who are those 144,000? They're the born-again believers by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. And they're about to go through the tribulation. And just like the original Exodus, before that death came into Egypt to wipe people out, God came in and He gave them a mark to protect them from what was about to come. So too will all Christians who are on the planet at that time of that tribulation will be protected from the final wrath to come by a mark designating the name of the living God, Jesus Christ, and His work and His blood on the cross. Concluding point number one, the seal and the people. It seals a protection for Israel. This seal that the angels are going to give, it is for protection of God's people, God's full people, will be on the earth at that time. Section number two, the seal and the lamb. The seal and the lamb. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and lang and tongues, standing before the throne and before the lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands. Now this chapter is one story that goes through this chapter. And so we just saw 144,000 being sealed, or about to be sealed and marked by the angels. Where are they? They're on the earth. It says three times in those opening passages, on the earth, holding back the winds of the earth, on the earth. These 144,000 are sitting there on the earth, about to get sealed because there's some terrible tribulation about to come. The very next thing that John sees is a great multitude that's now in heaven and they're surrounding the throne. This group that's now surrounding and worshiping consists of all nations, all tribes, all peoples, all tongues. 
So we just got told, okay, here's a list of a group of people that's Israel of God. And they don't match, and they don't look anything like what Israel used to look like. And now the very next thing we see is a multitude of people that are now in heaven that are made up of both Jews and Gentiles. And what's this group doing? They're standing before the throne and before the Lamb. God the Father, God the Son. They're wearing white robes. They've been purified. They've been washed by the blood. They're holding palm branches, this messianic sign of peace, just like Jesus' triumphal entry. They welcome the Messiah with palm branches. Here they are worshiping Jesus Christ with the shalom, the peace of God that can only come from God. Are these two totally different groups? Does John say, I saw on earth 144,000 about to get sealed. The very next thing I see is a great multitude in heaven worshiping him. Are the two completely unrelated? Revelation 14. That's where the next time we're going to see the 144,000, we're going to connect it together again. Use the Bible to interpret the Bible. This is what he says. Revelation 14.1 I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. Mount Zion is another name for heaven. So clearly the same ones that were right here on earth about to get sealed, they make it into heaven. Revelation 14 continues, verse 3. They sang as it were a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. A special seal, a special song. The whole of Christianity is not going to have to go through what these are going to have to go through. In other words, this 144,000 is not a specific number to get our head wrapped around. It's a representative of the full family of God. All the born-again saints that are going to be here on earth, every one of them accounted for before the tribulation. And they're sitting here before the throne of God. Now, first thing we see them in earth, tribulation is about to come, but they're sealed before it comes. The next thing we see, oh, they're in heaven, praising God. They made it. <laughs> it appears that Revelation 7 then is like a snapshot of what's going to be played out more fully as the book of the Revelation develops. The reason for pointing this out right now, going to Revelation 14, seeing who are these, is to demonstrate that they were on earth getting a seal, and then they end up in heaven worshiping in the presence of God, joining the heavenly beings. Verse 10, they cry out, back in Revelation 7, they cry out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So this full number of faithful followers of Jesus on the earth during the tribulation end up in heaven testifying about how they got there. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. So what's the point of this? Why is John seeing this? It's the point of the whole book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the same point of the whole book. 
And you and I, like I said in all the other weeks, you and I are going to disagree on certain things. And that's okay. We're going to disagree on when the tribulation is and how it ends up. We're going to disagree on when the rapture is. Do we go before the tribulation, in the middle of it, at the end? Dr. Carter's going to be preaching next week. He and I disagree on exactly when we get raptured out. That's okay. It doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is the purpose of this book. And the purpose of this book is that, look, it doesn't matter whatever physically happens to you here on this earth. If you've placed your faith in the blood of Jesus Christ, you're going to make it out. Period. So if you get out before anything happens really bad on the earth, you make it. If you get out in the middle of it, you make it. If you get out not to the very end and you go through all of it and you're missing legs and eyes are ripped out, you made it. Your soul is in heaven worshiping with Jesus as a new creation. You made it. That's the purpose of this book. It reveals that Jesus Christ is the same God who always saves his people out of impossible circumstances. That's what John is seeing. Four angels holding back the wrath of God. But before that wrath is even allowed to be poured out, God's people are sealed with protection. Jesus is worthy to put our hope in. Jesus is worthy to drop our pride and say, I'm living for you. Jesus is worthy to walk away from our addictions. Jesus is worthy to stop lusting after others. Jesus is worthy to stop falling into sin. Jesus is worthy to step out in faith and to live for. And Jesus is worthy to give our life and soul over to. He is worthy. Verse 11, all the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God. Why do these angelic hosts fall down for worship? Right? The 144,000 are, are saying, God, salvation belongs to you. Why do the angels fall down and worship? Because they've been servants and ministers of God in His story of salvation for thousands of years. And now they're seeing it perfected. Hebrews 1.14 says it this way, Are they, speaking about the angels, are they not ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who will inherit salvation? He's saying, like, the author of Hebrews, he's saying, isn't this who they are? They're just here to minister for, for those who, who get saved? Faithful ministers. We honor those pastors Who've been serving faith, Brother Rick, Pastor Rick back there, pa Pastor Carter. We honor pastors who've been serving faith for 20, 30 years, 40 years. We say, wow. Angels have been ministering faithfully, these angels, for thousands of years. Getting a word, sharing it with God's people, taking them where they need to go, stopping them when they're about to do something stupid. And then, here they are. No doubt, the full angelic hosts. Some of them were actually on the earth, going around, putting the seals on God's people. Okay, you're safe. You're sealed. You're safe. And here they are, at some point, in heaven together. And those same 144,000 that were sealed and protected from the wrath are now saying salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. 
And the angels can do nothing but fall on their face too. You're like, I know, right? I know, right? He's amazing. He's awesome, our God. And this is what they say. They say, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving, honor, power and might be to our God forever and ever. And then they say again, Amen. An Amen sandwich. <laughs> Let it be. This is who our God is. Let it be. It is so. All these attributes directly given to our God and to Him alone forever and ever. And do these attributes look familiar? They should. Revelation 5.12 Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. The same things we say about God are the same things we say about Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is <coughs> these perfect and complete attributes, seven of them attributes of God are part of the worship of God and of the Lamb and that seal that the 144,000 receive is a special guarantee that they will have a place in heaven and they will worship with the angelic hosts who help seal them as protection for their tribulation. Concluding point number two, the seal and the Lamb it seals a place with the Lamb. It seals a place with the Lamb. The final section here, section 3, the seal and the covenant. The covenant promise of God. The seal and the covenant. Verse 13. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes, and where did they come from? So if we notice here, the angel initiates the discussion, but it says that he's answering John. John hasn't said anything yet. So, like we see oftentimes, angels and Jesus, you know, our God, but he does, he answers the thoughts in our heads. We have questions, and God, we see God has a pattern of asking questions, which help us to answer questions that we have. So this is why sometimes, I don't know if, if, if you've experienced this, I hope you have, but you're in the middle, you're about to do something that you know you shouldn't do. And instead of God coming in and saying, you better not, instead, it's almost like God comes in and says, what are you thinking? You ever had God do that? You ever had God come right into the middle of your soul and say, where are you going? <laughs> he does that to me by name. Hey, Josh. Where are you headed? I know why he's asking me that. He doesn't have to say, don't go. Why are you going? Like a toddler. Because I want to do it. Because <laughs> I want to. It's fun. <clears throat> Who are these? John says, Sir, you know. Why does the angel ask him this? Because John had just seen 144,000 people being sealed on the earth, and all of a sudden he's in heaven, 
And he sees people that are of all nations, all tribes. So in other words, he sees Israel getting sealed. And then he's in heaven and he sees that Israel seems to be Jews and Gentiles. What's going on? Who are these? How did they get here? So verse 14, he says, Sir, you know, and he says, These are the ones who came out of the great tribulation. They washed their robes, made them white in the blood of the Lamb. They come out of the great tribulation, and yet they still end up in the throne room of God, then they were protected. Just like the Exodus, they were protected by the blood of the Lamb. The blood of Jesus is the mark, the name of Yahweh saves us and protects us. That's what Jesus' name means, Yahweh saves. He protects all who are spiritual Israel from the wrath of God. And this really does make sense when we just read the chapter just as it's been written. He sees these angels come down to bring extreme harm on the earth. He sees a number representing the full family of God and their seal. He sees born-again Christians all across the globe, including Jews and Gentiles. The next thing he sees, they're in the throne room of God, worshiping with all of God's servants. John was probably confused about what he was looking at, so an elder steps in and says, these are the Christians who make it out safe. Because, just like we talked about, we had five chapters of Revelation where we just saw Jesus being awesome, right? Five chapters, you can trust Him. Then we see these seals. You can trust Him, here's some bad stuff that's going to happen. And then what do we have here? This parenthetical seventh chapter. Trust him. Why? John's about to see trumpets. John's about to see bowls poured out. John's going to see some things that are going to no doubt shake him to the very core of his existence and say, how does anybody make it out of this? God shows him a vision. Hey, look. You see right before the wrath happens, they get sealed. Hey, look. After the wrath happens, look where they're at. They're sealed. Revelation 14.3, it says they end up singing, as it were, a new song. Verse 15 of Revelation 7, Therefore they are before the throne of God, and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will dwell among them. Again, the angel, the elder makes no doubt about it. The ones you saw on earth end up right here in God, in His temple, serving Him. They're serving in the temple of God, and we really don't see the perfection of that until Revelation 21. A new heaven, a new earth. But in that passage in Revelation 21, we see the same idea. God will dwell with His people. Literally, that word dwell is the same word as pitching a tent. There's a diff slightly different word for tabernacle, but they mean the same thing. Pitching a tent. Revelation 21.3, it says it this way. I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. Remember we looked at the tabernacle in the Old Testament? It's all about Jesus. The tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell. That's that same word, dwell. Dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. 
In the perfection of the new heaven and the new earth, we see the tabernacle of God dwelling with His people, spiritual Israel. And then in Revelation 7.15, what are we seeing being described? A new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem. And here are all of God's people together. And these 144,000 have a beautiful promise. They're going to be with Him forever. He's going to dwell with them. He's going to be with them. And they get a special honor of serving in His new temple on the earth. Imagine going through that great tribulation or any part of it. And God rescuing you out, protecting you. And then he says, look, because you had to go through what no other human being in all of existence ever had to go through, I'm going to allow you to serve in my temple forever. What a wonderful promise in the age to come. Verse 16, more beautiful promises. They're neither going to hunger nor thirst anymore. The sun's not going to strike them nor any heat. No more hunger, no more thirst. No more sunburns or any excessive heat. We're not going to have to worry about hell. We put our faith in Jesus Christ. We don't have to worry about sunburn. He's going to dwell with His people. He's going to provide His presence as the bread of life and as our living water. How do we know this for sure? Verse 17, the final verse today. Well, final verse before the final verse. <laughs> The Lamb who's in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Beautiful promise again. He's going to shepherd His people. Continually leading us to living waters. Fountains that never allow us to thirst again. He's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. Beautiful promise. Again, imagine the crying and the sorrow of those who are going to walk through the tribulation. Imagine how much crying they're going to do as they're watching their brothers and sisters in Christ being slain and dragged through the streets. Imagine the crying. And now here they are in the eternal kingdom to come. And God says you're never going to have to cry again. No more loss. No more pain. Isaiah says it this way, Isaiah 25, 8. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord Yahweh, or Adonai Yahweh, will wipe away tears from all faces. The rebuke of His people He will take away from all the earth, for the Lord Yahweh has spoken. When God makes a promise, He keeps it. The seal that we've been talking about today is something that God will give His children during the tribulation. They'll receive this special seal as part of something right before the seventh seal is broken on the scroll. We're going to see what happens when that seal is broken. We're going to see what's so dangerous that they need to be protected from. But for now, we get to see the end from the beginning. Jesus says He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He shows us, look, before you see some pretty terrifying things, I'm telling you, they make it out safe. I keep my promises. Our God keeps His promises to His people. God's people will come out of the tribulation looking just like their Savior, victorious and new.
Including point number three, the seal and the covenant. It seals a promise of revival. It seals a promise of revival. 